There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped in Tampa Ranch, Michael Biden. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, with 27 years of service, retired out of Manhattan North Homicide Squad. And with me today, retired NYPD detective and straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. How are you doing today, Phil? I'm doing pretty good, Billy. How about you? You know, good. But, you know, I, I, I actually, someone reached out to me. I'll, I'll leave that person anonymous. And they... They reached out to me because they were upset about the treatment of cops on the street by the mutts in this city. And specifically, there was an incident on Sunday after the Dominican Day Parade within the confines of the 4-4 precinct where the Bronx cops uh, had a disorderly group on a corner and a bunch of them responded and they actually grabbed a kid that had a gun. And then the crowd went ballistic on them. The crowd started throwing bottles at them and fighting with the cops. One guy actually squared off with a cop and threw punches at him. I mean, Phil, in our day, I, I guess th these things happened, but they didn't escalate to this level because we didn't have the threat of video in our face every 10 seconds. And that emboldens these perps. It really emboldens them because you can hear them talking like, oh, the cop did this, the kind they're like narrating uh, narrating the situation as if it's a movie. And I just find it so disdainful. And we're going to shine a light on this because a lot of times, like when the media covers this, they say they almost act like the cops caused the riot, like caused the response. No, the cops are there to bring peace. They're to, to bring order. They're to arrest offenders of the law. And when the media reports on it, like, we don't know what happened, like this was a fair fight or something. Like they were going to square off together. It just really gets me upset. Billy, I got to say, I've watched the video. And it, the one thing that, that really struck me was uh, the amount of people that get into a cop's uh, multiple police officers' faces when they're uh, affecting an arrest. And it's happening more and more and more. Uh, you know, at times uh, there would be a crowd gathering when we were affecting an arrest and maybe one person or two people would try to, you know, interject or intervene to try and prevent us from putting the cuffs on whoever it was we were trying to arrest. But for the most part, the crowd would stay back. They they would keep the distance. You don't have that anymore. There's no barrier between the officers trying to affect an arrest, put somebody in handcuffs, and uh, obviously a malicious crowd that's tossing bottles and uh, trying to, uh, you know, uh, aid the escape of the person that's being arrested. It's just really out of control. I think the thing with the phones, people getting right up in the cops' faces with the phones, that's terrible. They're, they're, Phil, they're, to they're emboldened by the video. They're emboldened. They really Absolutely. are. Absolutely. And it really makes you sick. I want to play a little bit of this, and we'll see – exactly what occurred here. And I want to make some comments afterwards. Uh, and I just also want to uh, let everyone know out there, these are 4-4 precinct cops. These are not, you know, I'm not going to disparage any precinct, but these are tough Bronx cops, all right? They've That's seen cool. the worst in this city, and, and they know how to handle these things. But they're at a tremendous advantage. And put that way, and we'll discuss who put them at this tremendous advantage. And the union, after video circulated of officers having bottles thrown at them while trying to make an arrest. It happened on Sunday after the Bronx Dominican Day Parade wrapped up. CBS 2's Lisa Rosner has more now from the Grand Concourse. A crowd is seen yelling at officers as a man is walked away in handcuffs around 7.30 Sunday night at East 168th Street and Sheridan Avenue in the Bronx. The NYPD says officers were responding to a large group gathered there drinking, playing loud music, blocking the sidewalk and being disorderly. From this video, seconds later, it appears one officer comes back and throws another man to the ground and tensions escalate. The man in the yellow is seen punching a cop and then several... <laughs> Glass bottles are thrown at officers. Video from another vantage point shows the person in yellow running away. There are more cops here. They were doing their job. I Isn't that consistent with wearing yellow? The little punk 
sucker yeah. punches a cop and then he runs away like the like yeah. pardon my language the little bitch he is you know yeah absolutely I think uh, some people don't live in this area it's pretty dangerous so usually people just stay inside police say officers approached one individual who tried to flee turns out he had a loaded firearm on him and that's when officers tried to disperse the crowd to think that people would think it's acceptable to throw anything at a police officer is outrageous the police union tweeted not shocking anymore and that's a problem nyc police officers are seeing this on a daily basis and added it needs more support from the justice system we're going to identify the people who are responsible for that we're going to bring them to justice for me watching the video that's a plot against the police greater staffing resources would have assisted in that particular situation the nypd is experiencing a monstrous amount of attrition in relation to officers leaving the nypd released these photos of seven individuals ages 20 to 25 they are asking the public to help them find police say this group is responsible for throwing the glass and one person did sustain cuts to their face and had to be taken to a hospital in the grand concourse section of the bronx lisa rosner cbs 2 news police say three men were arrested and faced charges including criminal possession of a weapon and resisting arrest four officers suffered minor injuries Comments, I mean, outrageous or what? Listen, Billy, you put it right. The guy with the yellow, real coward. He's a yellow coward. He he sucker punched a cop and took off running like a little bitch, like you said. But I don't think there's enough of a uh, a, a reaction from the media. They, they 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 just show these videos, and it's very matter-of-factly. Same thing with the numerous videos that you see every day of women being accosted in the street and sexually abused, people being robbed, elderly being punched in the face. We watch these videos every single day in New York City and across the country, and the media doesn't seem to be outraged about it. They're just reporting another news story. It's actually out of control. Uh, we talked about it before we went on the air, Billy. We've talked about it before with the legislators, the district attorneys, the, the bail reform, and on and on it goes. But we're living in Wild West times where people have to, I mean, you know, you're going to walk out the door to go get a quart of milk and you have to really look over your shoulder. It's out of control. Well, I would just like to comment on several things that brought us here. One of the things that brought us here was the overall disrespect for the police on a national level level that occurred after the George Floyd incident. 100%. We've never gotten back to where we were before that. Number two, the defund the police movement did so much damage. In this very city, the jackass de Blasio actually defunded $1 billion from the police. Some of these progressive woke ideas like violence interrupters, they're totally outrageous. Like, where did you get that idea from? And show me how it works. Show me the statistics that violence interrupters work. Do, they, do the violence interrupters know these kids throwing the bottles at the cops? The violence interrupters are former perps. I really get heated when I discuss this because when you, when you try to see if things work, like policing, does it work? We're looking at all kinds of t statistics. What were the robberies like last year as compared to this year? Is it up or is it down? We have statistics. What type of robberies do we have? Do we have robberies with guns? Do we have commercial robberies? Do we have street robberies, strong arm robberies? All of that stuff is categorized and kept records of. But when they talk about these violence interrupters, there is no record of it. They just said, oh, they're doing a great job. And the public, taxpayers, paying these guys and we're supposed to accept that that that's no statistics oh they're doing a great job really really let me see the stats where are the statistics that show me that violence is going down with these violence interrupters that may have just gotten out of prison two weeks ago i mean i'm L sorry i'm heated but i am heated no, no, really listen to me you're passionate about it because you lived through the time when we were able to enforce the law and we brought time uh, crime down dramatic uh, dramatically drastically there was a great article in the new york post yesterday by former police commissioner william bratton and he said look to the past to solve the 
problems of the present and the future. And he meant the 90s. It was a great article. He talked about the broken windows policy and on and on. I mean, we've talked about it before. Police Commissioner Bratton, I think, is is an excellent, excellent person to be talking about it. He was the one that architect a lot of the policies that brought the change, brought crime down in New York City. I mean, yesterday, uh, it was reported on the news, I think it was in Manhattan, a woman ordered French fries in McDonald's. They were cold. She called her son to the scene with a gun and shot the uh, McDonald's employee in the neck. The kid is hanging on by a, a hair to life in the hospital. And they arrested the kid with the gun, the 20-year-old son. However, they didn't charge the mother. To me, that's an acting in concert. She called the son to the scene to, to get some street justice, and she walks away from it. So, again, we have a Wild West mentality. There's no respect for law and order. There's Phil, no most, a lot of this mentality has been created. I'm going to use that filthy word politician. <laughs> it has been created by politicians. They, they really, these woke politicians, and I'm going to list bail reform is a disaster. Hochul, you're appointed by Cuomo. You are not elected. You may not get elected. Do something about bail reform instead of walking around like, ah, you know, do something about bail reform. It's a disaster, but you won't do anything because you 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 just you you govern by polls. That's the way a lot of politicians. Oh, are our people pissed at this? Oh no, it's just the Republicans that are pissed at bail reform. The the other thing is this diaphragm law. It's going to get somebody killed. Probably already has. That we have to get rid of that diaphragm law. You knuckleheads on the city council. You guys, I cannot believe. Did one of you poll anyone from policing to determine whether or not the diaphragm law was a good idea? Uh, I'm waiting to hear. Did you? Yeah. No, you didn't. No one from policing was polled to tell you knuckleheads that the diaphragm law is a disaster. When that cop got beat up in the subway last week, another disgusting situation, you could see that he was afraid to fight that kid because he was afraid that this city will not support him. He was afraid once he got him on the ground to put his knee in the guy's back because guess what? That's an A misdemeanor, Dollar. according to the city council. Yep. So you knuckleheads in the city council, is this what you want? As people flee this city, the good taxpayers flee this city? Oh, yes. You know something? We got There's only 60% of the population compared to pre-COVID is riding the subways. How are we going to pay? For oh, I know how we could pay for it. Let's congestion make prices. the suburban people that drive cars pay with congestion pricing. Beautiful. So let's let the perps jump the turnstile and let's let the taxpayers from the subway pay for it. Brilliant. Another woke idea. It's, Billy, I love your passionate response to the situation. I don't mean to laugh, but there's two things I want to point out. If Governor Hochul wanted to get elected, which she was never elected, she was the lieutenant governor under Cuomo, he had to resign in disgrace, so she took over. She wants to get elected as governor. Two things she can do today. She can take Alvin Bragg out of office, dismiss him from service of the New York City, uh, uh, New York County District Attorney's Office. That's one. Two, she can go to Albany and say, hey, we have to get bail reform out. We have to get rid of it. Those two things, she'd be elected by every uh, voting person in New York State. Secondly, a New York City Council, sit down with Keechan Sewell, the police commissioner of the NYPD, and go over policies that might help to reduce crime in the city. She's very, very competent. I'm very impressed with her. I think she's a great police commissioner. She's got the tools in her fingertips. She needs the backing of the city council and the people of the city to get things back in order. Those two things, I think, would make a big difference. Again, you brought out the points. Uh, the diaphragm law, it's ridiculous. A cop goes to arrest somebody. He can't touch a perpetrator from his chin to his waist. Ridiculous. I, I mean, when you have to take somebody and put them in handcuffs, how could you do that? You Phil, the, the arrogance, the arrogance of that law is that they never asked anyone in policing, is this, is this feasible? They, Because they're so arrogant, they're politicians. That word should be right next to the F word in, the, in, in, the, in Webster's, politicians. It's disgraceful. And you know something? The other thing is raising the age of accountability from 16 to 18. So now you're not criminally responsible 
as an adult till you're 18. Who, whose idea? Oh, that was Cuomo's idea. Yeah. He did it, fled in disgrace, and now we have to live with that law. Another bad, bad policy, bad law. Oh, yes, crime is going to go out of control. So let's make 16 to 18-year-olds who commit a huge amount of crime. I feel like I'm crazy, Eddie. I'm going crazy. <laughs> these prices are insane. You know, no, these policies are <laughs> these insane. These policies are insane. You know, 16 to 18-year-olds commit a huge amount of crime. So let's raise the age. So guess what? Now they're not criminally responsible. Let's send them to family court. Let's send them to kiddie court. Let's send them to the junior varsity. Let's send them to the freshman team. I mean, just totally outrageous. But legislators, for you folks that don't know, legislators make the laws. They're supposed to know the law. They're supposed to be learned in the law. But yet most of these knuckleheads never even confer. I mean, we, when we had that guy Riley on, Mike Riley, and he questioned the guy from the state legislature about the diaphragm law and some of the laws they passed. The guy didn't seem like he knew the law. And then I said, Mike, that guy has a law degree? And he goes, yeah. I was like, where did he go? You know, like uh, Rudy Valley Law School. Where did he go? I, you know, I mean, it's unbelievable. Billy, I'm glad you brought up the point about they raised the age of juvenile offenders from 16 to 17 because that's exactly what took place when the guy assaulted uh, the police officer in uniform on the train last week. Uh, because he was 16 years old, he was released and the case was sent to juvenile court, to family court. And District Attorney Alvin Bragg's office defended the policy saying that they feel that he could get help and he needs social services, stuff like that. No, he was a wild savage that was attacking a police officer in uniform. Uh, he put the officer in a headlock. He had been arrested recently for possession of a gun, a loaded firearm. He was also arrested on a robbery. No bail on either of those two charges. He needs to be incarcerated and let the system handle it as an adult. When you're 16 years old, you're old enough to, you know, put on the big boy pants and go out and jump the turnstile and assault the police officer. You're big enough to, you know, pay the price and go to adult court. I mean, that's the way it was our whole time on the police department. You know, juveniles, when they were under 16 years old, were handled in juvenile court. But when you were 16 or older, you committed certain felonies or, you know, what uh, certain misdemeanors or whatever it was, you would go to, uh, to, to, you know, to Supreme Court. You'd go to big boy court. So again, the policies aren't working. And like you said, the people that instituted these policies. Well, it's just the beginning. This is just the start of the crime escalation. It hasn't even gotten to the point yet. This is just, it's a new mayor, Mayor Adams. It, we had eight years of that buffoon. And now this is just the start of crime escalating. Because when there's no teeth in the law, when there's no punishment in the law, perpetrators are emboldened. And then we have district attorneys who show up with their mask on, which says, I am a Democrat mask. Uh, and, and they and they, they just, they don't prosecute. I'm going to show later on how the feds, the feds, the federal government with the NYPD took down gangs in Washington Heights. And guess who's prosecuting it? The feds. Okay. You know why? Because Bragg doesn't want to prosecute. But he had the balls to be at that meeting with his I am a Democrat mask on yesterday. And it just it's pathetic. Let's bring all our cases, all the big cases to the feds. The feds want to prosecute. The feds want to put people in prison. Let's bring our cases to them. Billy, I want to make another point. Since you're talking about all these different policies, last week there was a perpetrator, and he looked like he could have been in that 17-, 18-year-old, 19-year-old category, that assaulted two women in Manhattan. And they have video of him jumping the turnstile with his scooter after the attacks, after the assaults, the sexual assaults. So again, the point that we make all the time is that the bad guys don't pay their fare on the subway. So if we had a zero tolerance policy tomorrow on subway systems throughout New York City, where if you don't pay, you're going to be arrested or given a summons, you would see crime drop just from that alone. They're using the subways as their avenue to get to wherever they're going to go commit crimes or they're committing crimes on the subway. So, I mean, how loud do we have to scream and yell and jump? Let's up keep and down screaming. Let's keep screaming. Let them hear from us. Two former NYPD cops. I was a sergeant in homicide, anti-crime six and a half years, citywide anti-crime. Phil, you, 
you uh, plied your trade on the streets of Brooklyn. We know. We Trades know what this is all about. NYPD. We came in in the beginning of Comstat. We've seen broken windows policing. We've seen how bad the city can get and how good it can get. But guess what? The politicians are holding back the dog. Let the dog go. <laughs> Who let the dogs out, right? Yeah. The, I want to pull a little bit of be let out, but they also need to have the backing of the police department and the local politicians, mayor, city council, and politicians governor. are holding the dog's chain. Let go of the dog's chain. I'm going to pull listen, a little. Let's not let the prosecutors in New York City, the five boroughs, let's not leave them out of the equation. Gonzalez, we have Bragg, we have the others in Queens and Staten Island. I think Staten Island seems okay, but Staten Island is the only borough that prosecutes the rest of them they're all down with this decarceral policies of no punishment let's do other alternate sanctions that's that's i want to put darren porcher on who is a retired lieutenant and a, a man of much wisdom and uh let's see what he has to say sometimes he tries to use really big words but it's all right darren we'll let you we'll let you get away with that then will the crime and street mob violence stop watch this Chicago, we got a mob. He just jumped on my car. There's a radio car in Chicago. Unbelievable. Will you steal even now that you're out? This is the lady who got arrested a hundred times for shoplifting. I have to get me an outfit. You have to get a new outfit. I have to get a new outfit. Okay, so you're going to go steal it. So I have to go work. Work is stealing. It's work. I'll call it something. I'll call it professional. Professional booster. Professional boosting. So, I love that. It's sort of normalizing crime, right, Darren Porcher? <laughs> yes, this is unfortunate. When we look at the intersection of theft in these retail establishments, what's happened is we as the common consumer are experiencing the burden of these costs that are going up, especially under the Joe Biden administration, where we've seen a meteoric rise in how how prices are going up. You know, that being said, we have these liberal DAs in places like New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Pennsylvania, or I should say Philadelphia. And what it's causing is a climate that's allowing criminals to act with impunity. We're under siege and something needs to be done now. Yep. And this is the perfect time to move forth the agenda of the social contract. And doctor, you've been on the front lines, right? You, you know that more than 15 U.S. cities saw their murder rates shatter prior records. But now you have George Soros to what Darren Porcher was saying. He's trying to defend his funding of weak on crime DAs in an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal. But he's leaving out what Darren Porcher just mentioned about, you know, liberal San Francisco voters booting from office. His DA of choice, Chesa Boudin, the LADA, George Gascon, faces a second recall. We've got woke DAs in Philadelphia, New York, and Chicago. And this is really, we have to pay for their ideologies. The people on, out on the streets, go ahead. Well, Liz, you said it perfectly. I mean, unfortunately, you've seen a normalization of crime. And when it comes to crime, there's a very tricky relationship between crime and mental illness. And unfortunately, what has happened with a lot of these policies, when you arrest and release them immediately, the people who are needing mental health uh, treatments or evaluations, they're just being released back on the street. Now, the overwhelming majority of people who are committing these large crimes, violent crimes, it is not due to mental illness. It is for other reasons. But the more petty crimes such as theft, jaywalking and others are due a lot from those with mental illness. And if you were to evaluate them, get them the proper treatment they need, the supervision, it is possible you could actually get them into safe housing, get them back into the employment world and maybe off of the streets. To, I'm gonna get to what the doctor just pointed out, uh, Darren Porcher. What George Soros also left out, he didn't mention how defund the cops is hurting uh, these cities that you cited as well. He didn't mention how they weakened the rules, weakened the crime laws. And he's, he doesn't name the research he's pointing to to make his claim that what he's doing is a good thing, you know. But to what the doctor was just pointing out, critics are saying the ACLU and Legal Aid Society, they're expert at persuading courts to release mentally ill people who need help. But they're doing that in the name of freedom. But then they don't focus on their medical care that's best for them. What, where do you come down in this debate? 
I believe that these communities are under siege. And when we look to what the actions of George Soros are committing to, it's clearly causing these communities to spiral out of control. We saw a lot of the Democrats or the liberal districts losing a lot of these down ballot elections based on the defund police agenda. It's clear that the people in these communities want to be afforded greater protections by law enforcement. However, George Soros is, is looking through this with no, with no peripheral vision based on this woke movement. And this woke movement is, is an absolute and catastrophic failure. Now is the time for the practitioners in law enforcement to step up and be at the forefront. And we need our elected officials to support them in reducing crime where we can gain precipitous drops. So you see what Darren's just pointing out. So there's two things happening. You have George Soros, right? pushing to fund weak on crime DA's doctor. But to and to what you're talking about too is how the ACLU and other progressive groups are weakening laws uh, like the New York City's uh, Kendra's Law in 1999, claiming it's authoritarian and racist. But it, it, would, it would say to the courts, you gotta order medical treatment of the mentally ill and once a month injections or whatever. I'm not saying, we're not saying all criminals are mentally ill, but there this is also a problem out there too, right? Undoubtedly, we have a severe mental illness crisis across our country, and you refer to as the court-ordered treatment called Kendra's Law in New York, but there are many other states that have these laws in place, but they are underutilized. And what it is is you either need a family member, a friend, or someone who petitions to the court, a physician sees the person, and then the court then says it is in this person's best interest for them and their community that they undergo treatment for their mental illness. But they don't have to be hospitalized. It's not like 1950 where they're institutionalized in voluntarily. It is just saying to keep your, that person and the people around them safe, they have to take their medication. Unfortunately, that's just not being utilized right now. Got it. Wow. This is quite an arc. I wish we had more time for this debate because it's a real hot one. We talk to people all the time. They say the exact same thing that both of you are saying, Darren Porcher and Dr. Nicole Sapphire. Thank you so much for joining us. Come back soon. Joining us now. For well, it's amazing, Phil, that, uh, Homelessness, and we all have a high degree of sympathy for people that are homeless, but it, it's sort of been uh, misnomers about, about homelessness. Homelessness is largely a problem of alcohol, drug addiction, and mental illness. And anyone that says it isn't is lying, all right? There's those three things. There's other things, but usually it's a product of alcoholism, drug addiction, and mental illness. 90% of it. Now, these folks don't belong living on the sidewalks. Many of them, not all, many of them are dangerous. So when John Q. Citizen drove in from the suburbs, just paid $20 for his congestion pricing, gets out of his car, and some homeless guy slashes him with a box cutter, doesn't he have the right to safety once he just paid his $20 congestion price? Oh, and by the way, he went over the 35 mile per hour speed limit. He just got a $50 summons. So he's paying the congestion pricing and he just got a $50 summons, which are <laughs> don't get me started. How about the toll cameras are going to be going 24 seven in this city. Welcome to New York congestion pricing, <laughs> speed cameras, 24 seven. And we're got we need to pay for the turnstile jumpers. A few things, Billy, I got to point out. Number one, that booster, that professional booster, the one that was right on the beginning of that uh, clip that you just showed. Now, it's obvious she must have a drug problem, too. I don't think that she's going out boosting for new clothing. That sounds like bullshit to me. But, uh, you know, they, they, when I was in the game, you know, in anti-crime and, and in the high crime areas, they would use words like we're going out taxing, going out to rob somebody, you know, we're taxing them, uh, going to work, uh, going to get paid. Those were the terms that they used these people that were addicted to drugs or even these juveniles that were out committing crimes. Uh, it, it's really, really, really out of control. I think that Dr. Nicole Sapphire made a great point. A lot of the people that are going through the turnstile justice system, they're getting arrested for whatever the crime may be. They're not getting bail. They're not being put into the system. When you go into the system and you're getting bail, you get interviewed by mental health professionals. They might prescribe uh, a trip to the uh, hospital for an evaluation and possible medication, or they might uh, also prescribe services for these people that are, you know, they're committing petty crimes because to support a drug habit. 
So there's all of these different things that are being lost because of the policies of no bail in New York state. And she made a great point. And that's part of the problem. And then Billy, you're talking about congestion pricing, the tolls, the speed cameras. Now speed cameras were implemented around schools to provide safety during school hours. So the cameras would turn off at 10 o'clock at night and they wouldn't run on the weekend. However, they came up with the, the numbers. They know that if they, doubled the amount of hours that, they, well, increased the amount of hours, but they'd probably double the revenue because at night, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning, people tend, there's nobody on the roads. They tend to go a little faster. So again, you're going to have a lot more speed camera violations. The revenue is unbelievable. And then they're going to take the revenue. They're going to line their pockets and waste it on, you they're know, going to take the revenue. You're going to pay more violence interrupters. Ridiculous. It's totally <laughs> you know? ridiculous. And I mean, Phil, it's an open cash register, 24-7. Let's just destroy the taxpayers. You know, the same people paying double or triple to register their car in New York State, which it's gone up that much in the past five years. Let's hammer them. Congestion pricing. Oh, my God, they're using that horrible carbon-burning machine. Let's hit them for that. Let's get them for that. And then... I just got one about uh, two weeks ago on 28th Avenue in Brooklyn on a block, a residential block, no school on the block. And I was going 37 and it was a 25 mile an hour posted limit. I, I was going above the uh, above the limit. I get it. But it was like seven or eight o'clock at night. There's no school on the block. So what's the uh, you know, what's the what's the they're giving us a, a selling us a bill of goods, telling us, oh, it's for the safety of the children on the street and school children. I mean, I wasn't going 70 miles an hour. on a Phil, It's an open cash register. That's all it is. It's yeah, not yeah. for safety of anyone. It's for the city's coffers. And everyone tells you it's for the safety. They're, they're lying. It's for it's to enrich the city. This next video I want to show. I spoke before about these gangs being taken down in Washington Heights. And I said that, I don't know if it's the NYPD or this was a joint task force with NYPD and the feds. They brought the cases to federal prosecutors to prosecute. And I think that's great because if you, Alvin Bragg doesn't want to prosecute, then let's take it to the feds who do want to prosecute. And when you say to a criminal, this is going to federal court, when you see the, 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 the change of shade in their face, when they're like, oh, my God, what do you mean it's going to the federal court? And, Phil, you know that's true. You came from narcotics, right? You say, oh, today's federal day? They'd be like, no way, right? Absolutely. They don't play. I mean, if, you, if you base uh, the case into a, a federal system, the penalties are much higher, and the amount of time that you get off of good behavior is a lot less. So it's definitely a deterrent when it goes to federal court. All right, let's play this. For the past four years, OED has wreaked havoc in this city, committing multiple murders, multiple armed robberies, shootings, assaults, and also dealing dangerous drugs. Joined by Police Commissioner Keyshawn Sewell and District Attorney Alvin Bragg, U.S. Attorney Damian Williams said seven of the 16 charged were arrested this morning. The street gang operated mainly in and around Washington Heights and is allegedly known for extreme violence. The group is affiliated with the Trinitarius gang responsible for the 2018 killing of 15-year-old Junior. Organized groups such as this do terrorize. They sow fear and disorder, and they show zero respect for the lives of the people who reside and work in the neighborhoods where they wreak havoc. The indictment against members of the OED gang spells out the degree of violence that they're accused of. We allege murdered five victims over the past two years, committed 12 attempted murders, and seven robberies or attempted robberies. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, who is under oh, there fire he is. by critics there he is with his claims big that he's being NR50, you know? praised with a takedown of the city's notorious gang. This is an important step. We're going to keep on working. Uh, and of course, any violence uh, should not be tolerated. But I would also note that, you know, year to date uh, in Manhattan, shootings uh, and homicides are down compared to last year. So that's progress. We have more work to do. But we're, we're heading in the right direction. And so long as there is a threat to New Yorkers, um, we're not going to walk away. For the past four years, OE doesn't want to show his face, that punk. He's, a uh, you punk. know, unbelievable. You know something? But thank God, Damian Williams, U.S. attorney, I applaud you. Thank you so much for taking this case federally because 
when local prosecutors take it upon themselves, not even the, the voters. You know, I just want to comment one thing also about Soros. Why does a billionaire get to impact the outcome of an election by giving, in, in the case of Bragg, he gave $1 million. In the case of Gascon in L.A., he gave $3 million. Why is that allowed? Why is a billionaire allowed to impact an election with his money? To me, that's like a bribe. Why is he allowed to do that? Can you answer that, Phil? Uh, no, I can't answer that. And I think that George Soros should lose his citizenship in the United States and he should be arrested and deported from the country. He does not belong to walk free in our country with the terrible, terrible things that he has done with his billions of dollars. You just pointed out two cases. There's several others. I mean, it's exactly what you said. It's corruption. It's it's, it's making bribes. It's, it's throwing money towards a, a candidate that probably doesn't have a shot, but because they inundate the area with ads, political ads, and people just go out and vote because they see the ad, don't not knowing what the policies are of this Alvin Bragg or Gascon in, in uh, California. It's ridiculous, and I think it's criminal, and it shouldn't be allowed. Let's hear a little bit from uh, former NYPD police commissioner uh, Ray Kelly. Let's see what he has to say. That a lot of voters have, uh, whether they're on the left or right, they're concerned about safety issues, and they think it's going crazy right now. Is this a reigning in that you welcome? What, what do you think? <laughs> oh, I certainly welcome this. I hope it begins a, a trend. But uh, Bodine, as other DAs, is the product of a very insidious plot on the part of George Soros. He started this in 2016. He's contributed through his various organizations to 75 elections. We know that at least 26 of those supported candidates have, have won. And uh, we know that uh, he, he, in a way, has succeeded. Look at the district attorneys in, in New York, in Chicago, in, uh, in Los Angeles, of course, San Francisco. They're all George-funded uh, winners of the election. And what George uh, Soros did was use $40 million to contribute to these elections. And we know that DA uh, races are usually local uh, races, but he took a million dollars at least to each of these campaigns, and it made a huge difference. And I believe he's going to continue to, to do this. So, uh, yeah, I hope uh, people are getting the message and that uh, this trend continues. As you say, in New York, only the governor can remove a district attorney. Do you think the governor will? No. No, I do not. It's uh, She sees it as being politically toxic. She's not going to do it. She's uh, up for her first election as uh, yeah. as governor. So she doesn't want to alienate any group. Uh, it's not going to happen. You know, um, what's interesting to me, Commissioner, hearing Bowdoin's response to this, that you can't incarcerate your way out of this. Well, we'll give it a try, right? Because uh, <laughs> by not doing that and having a turnstile between repeat offenders where they get back out and and do untold damage and crimes. Uh, it was at least something. And we were never like at the crime levels we're at now in so many of these cities where it's out of control. Yeah, well, he telegraphed this. He ran on a campaign of decarceration. And that was his, his uh, central premise. And uh, of course, people in a very liberal city like San Francisco, even they have had enough. And you, you see this, uh, happening. This uh, ejection uh, is just testament to the fact that, hey, you've gone far enough. And I hope these other district attorneys pick up this this message, certainly here in uh, in New York. Crime is up here, 40 percent. District attorneys uh, uh, are not doing what most people think they should do, including the mayor. Uh, so we want to see, you know, we want to see district attorneys prosecute. I, I don't know where they think they've gotten this much discretion. They have just gone overboard as far as uh, exhibiting prosecutor discretion. And I think, um, you know, I think it has to be uh, real back in. Well, this might be the first sign that uh, average voters feel the same way, Commissioner. Thank you. Ray Kelly on all of that. Hi, Winner Brian. You know, Phil, one of the things I just, uh, folks that weren't in New York uh, back during the, uh, I guess it was the later 80s, early 90s when Mayor David Dinkins was the mayor and crime was just totally out of control. Uh, 
those were the days of 2,200 murders, I believe, citywide. The 3-4 precinct set a record. They had 129 murders in 1992. And I think that was when the electorate, the electorate finally got so upset that they said, we're going to do something about this. And we called it, remember that case, we called it the Brian Watkins moment. And uh, if you folks in the chat don't know, Brian Watkins was a tourist that came to New York City from Utah with his family to go to the U.S. Open. And when his family was in the Times Square subway hub, a bunch of thugs attacked his mother. And Brian came to her aid and was stabbed to death. And that was somewhat of an incident where the whole city said, enough, that is it. We've had enough with crime. We're going to do something about it. And along comes uh, Rudolph Giuliani, a former U.S. attorney. And he didn't win by a lot. I think he won by like two percentage points because he took, um, he took Staten Island and Brooklyn. All the other boroughs he lost. So, you know, it, 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 are we going to reach a moment like that again this time? I hope not. I think that at that time, the politicians saw that if you start to affect the tourism industry in New York City, uh, you know, you're going to affect uh, the coffers, the, the tax revenue. So I think that's probably what sparked the outrage, as well as the outrage from the community in New York City and put Giuliani in office. But I want to make a point about bail because I can remember two specific cases. Now, two different cases. One was the hom- a homicide of a used car deal, a new car dealer when I worked in the 6 squad. And the other one was a cop homicide. But it also uh, tied into three or four other homicides. In both of those incidences, the people who wound up giving up the information on the homicide were in jail on high bail. And they wound up trying to uh, make a deal to get out of jail, get their bail lowered by giving information. So that's another. Not only are we going to identify different problems with mental health and drug abuse. And, you know, we have all these city services that when you have someone that's in jail, they're in the system. You can, uh, you know, you can apply these different services and help. But you also gain information. Someone that's in jail on bail might say, listen, I want to get out of jail on this petty crime. Let me give up this other crime. And that's how the police department solves a lot of cases and a lot of crime. And again, you're, you're, you're handcuffing the police. Let's not handcuff the police. Let's hand, handcuff the scumbags in the city that are committing all the crimes. Let's handcuff them. And listen, we know what works. Uh, Bratton did that story yesterday in the New York Post. Look to the past, the 90s, when he was the police commissioner and we had the broken windows policy along with Giuliani and all the different categories of violent crimes went down. It's not that hard to figure out. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. If you're not subscribed to us, go on our YouTube. Hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up and ring that bell. If you want to contribute to us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. And you can contribute to us on a monthly basis. We also have a YouTube channel membership with five different levels, and you can contribute there. Uh, Phil, let's go to a quick commercial here for Joe Murray. Joe Murray, attorney at law. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He literally knows both sides of defense. His website is jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702, or you can email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. I just recently spoke to Joe about a relative that needed some legal representation. He's right on the ball, a great attorney. And if you'd like to advertise with Police Off the Cuff, all you have to do is get a hold of us by email at policeoffthecuff, the number one, at gmail.com. Our rates are very, very reasonable, and it might be the right thing to spark some interest in your business. Well, you know, I wanted to, uh, since we started out with, with um, this being about the, uh, the cops from the Bronx being pelted with bottles, I just wanted to, um, to bring this up again and just show uh, and let everyone know these 4-4 cops, these guys are the real deal. They are no joke, these guys, all right? And I, I'm one, I'm a person that feels cops should be tough. And cops should be intimidating. I know with this whole woke community policing, kinder, gentler, you know, but you know something, sometimes you got to be tough and see this dude on the screen. 
I wouldn't want to mess with this guy. And you know something? I'm an anti-crime sergeant. I'm the sergeant going to a scene like this. I want him to have my back. And I want cops like him to have my back. And I just want to say, guys, the retired guys, we support you. You guys do a hell of a job under really trying, really difficult circumstances. And I just want to play this video one more time so folks can see what the hell you're up against. Why Next time one of these things happen, they should invite the city council to come, you know, minus their bodyguards, you know, invite them there. Let them see what they're up against. Let them see what the city council has done to the police by instituting the diaphragm law, law and, and bail, bail reform. Let them see. Let them stand on that corner as the NYPD gets pelted with, bo with bottles. A bottle could kill you. It of course, you. hit you in the right place, it could kill you. You know what I mean? So let the let the city council watch this twenty four seven. This video, it's it's pathetic, it's disgusting, and I want to see you know. And I know that um, the unions have spoken out against this. Uh, you know, it, it's just, you know. They're I just want to show ad nauseum, Bill. It's just on and on. Every time an officer gets assaulted or there's some type of outrageous thing, they're, they're, they're speaking out, but it's going on deaf ears. And Bill, what was that? The 4-4 precinct where that occurred? That's the 4-4 okay. precinct, yeah. Okay, so Bragg and the head of the city council should go do a ride-along on a 4-12 to any night of the week at the 4-4. Give them bulletproof vests. Let them do a ride-along and see what goes on in that precinct with the amount of violence and the, the attitude of the people. Let them go around and see that. And any other member of the city council that wants to go for a ride-along, go see what those guys are up against in the 4-4. And then come back and tell me that, you oh, you're for the uh, diaphragm law and, and no bail. Let them see what it's really like up close and personal. Like you said, Billy, without their bodyguards. Then tell me that, oh, uh, you know, the, the cops are racist and the cops are too violent. And no, no, it's it's the out of control violence in the streets. That's what's happening right now. You know, one of the things that has also, we, when we speak about how outrageous this guy Bragg is, and of course the 4-4 precinct is not Manhattan, it's the Bronx. But this was uh, the Manhattan incident. And again, I think happened up in Hamilton Heights, which is uh, this was the guy who went behind the counter and the guy in the story, bodega I stabbed him and, and Bragg wanted to charge him with murder. The first story is on the last story. It's been evolving. But there's been too little attention paid to the fact that the girlfriend of the uh, individual who uh, ended up dying in this incident actually stabbed the store owner, the store clerk, mm -hmm. three times during the altercation. She threatened that uh, store clerk uh, during their earlier on altercation, said I'm not, and the, the language was pretty vivid that I've seen about bringing her boyfriend to mess him up. And so all of a sudden the boyfriend shows up behind the counter and the ensuing struggle that we witnessed 
this is just another example of Albert Bragg, the Manhattan attorney, turning the justice system upside down in New York. Uh, I think incredibly bad decisions, charging decisions on the part of the district attorney. As police commissioner, there's not much that the commissioner can do. They make the arrest. They bring that arrest and the complaints and the information to the DA. But the DA makes the ultimate decision in this case. And I think he's made a faulty decision, being quite frank. And we are waiting to hear from Alvin Bragg. Hopefully that happens soon on, you know, what he decides. You know, just another outrageous incident. And you have to worry about being a citizen of this city if you use the justification laws to prevent or terminate a robbery, to prevent or terminate deadly physical force against yourself, and you use deadly physical force, will he prosecute you for murder? you got to worry about that because this guy is not for everyday citizens. He's for the perps. Now, if you don't believe a retired sergeant and a retired detective from the NYPD with almost 50 years of service, look who else is calling out Bragg. The police, former police commissioner, Bill Bratton, who's an accomplished law enforcement officer. He was the police commissioner of NYPD. He was in Boston. He was in California. I mean, if you don't believe our word, look at his word. And he's calling out Bragg. I mean, this is a ridiculous, ridiculous district attorney. Obviously, uh, Soros-backed, and uh, like, like we pointed out earlier, you know, all the money going to the campaign. You know, district attorneys, uh, when they run for office, their budget or, or, or their amount of money that they have in their campaign fund is probably well under a million dollars. And what they do is, with that million dollars, they're throwing up all this advertising posters, and people generally might not pay attention to who the person is. They see it in their face. They go into the voting booth, and they hit it. And we have uh, uh, an inept, uh, uh, a ridiculous uh, district attorney in New York County and uh, several other places around the country. And this is what's causing the uptick in, uptick in crime. Marilyn Mineta, thank you for joining our YouTube, uh, our YouTube membership. You look uh, beautiful in your, uh, in your picture. Not everyone looks great in their picture, you know, including me. <laughs> but... Uh, Guys, and all you folks that are in the green font, thank you so much for uh, supporting Police Off the Cuff uh, on our YouTube channel, Linda Cosma, Pauline Buckles, of course, Lieutenant Pete. You know, when they talk okay. about uh, punishment, it's, it's in, in criminal justice lingo, it's called the, like sanctions. And there's two types of sanctions, and it's called general and specific deterrence. And specific deterrence is saved for that bad assault or that bad robber that does a stick up and shoot somebody. Specifically, he could get 12 to 25. When you sock that guy with 12 to 25, which he's never going to get under Alvin Bragg, when you sock him with 12 and a half to 25, the general deterrence person is like, I'm not committing a crime like that. Look what this guy got. He just got 12 and a half to 25. So it'll make the general deterrence person not want to commit a crime like that. But when Alvin Bragg uh, came into office, he came with this 10-step program, and everything was not prosecuting. In fact, he wanted to make robbery first degree with a gun if you didn't shoot somebody a misdemeanor. I, I mean, I just cannot fathom that. I just, being an anti-crime cop and knowing how scary it is for a regular civilian to have someone stick a gun in your face and say, give me your money or I'll shoot you. And then takes your money, takes your wallet, but doesn't shoot you. So that's a misdemeanor now. And I think he was forced to back off by the governor. But I mean, amazing because she's no crime fighter either. You know, the only thing they, it seems like they know how to do is talk about the iron pipeline and, and uh, anti second amendment stuff. But, you know, they don't want to talk about, changing things that would have a real difference and a real deterrence for the citizens of this city who now are being preyed upon by homeless people living on the sidewalks who are not just mentally ill or drug addicted or alcohol addicted, but have criminal pasts. I mean, someone that throws someone or pushes someone on a subway tracks, I'd say they're probably uh, mentally ill. Someone the other day in Times Square takes a box cutter and cuts some woman's hand who's walking, minding her own business. You think that guy's mentally ill? I, I would have to say he probably is. 
I mean, I saw that story in the paper when you saw the gash on the woman's hand, uh, unprovoked attack, obviously somebody mentally ill, maybe drug addicted, or maybe just, uh, off their meds, whatever the case may be, you can't walk down uh, a street in Manhattan in Times Square without being assaulted with a, with a, a box cutter. It's completely out of control. And I think that, uh, we're pointing out all of these things and we're not coming from a place of, uh, not experience. We're coming from a place of experience when we're talking about these things. Bill and I have almost 50 years of law enforcement service in New York City. And, you know, when we see the things that are going on across the country, it's not only in New York, it's across the country. We get outraged and we jump up and down and, and we can't believe it's even happening. And all the work that was done in the 80s, 90s, and into the 2000s is being reversed now in New York City and across the country. So that's why we're so passionate about it. You know, guys, and all you you, you cops, uh, you cops out there that, um, that need people to back you up, that need the executive level of the NYPD to back you up, and need the police commissioner, who I really like. I'm really impressed with her. We had Patrick Ryder on our show, the Nassau County Police Commissioner. And Keychan Sewell worked for Nassau County as the chief of detectives. She's very impressive. I think her heart is in the right place. But the politics can force your heart sometimes. You can maybe not do the things you want to do because you're prevented by the politics of the day from doing them. You know, And we hope that she gets the money she needs. She gets the staffing. Because right now, look, cops are fleeing the NYPD like in droves. There's an open spigot and they're going to other police departments. They're leaving to other jobs. And it's disturbing. You guys in the 4-4, keep your heads up. That was great work you did under tremendous uh, pressure. Got people, savages throwing bottles at you as you're taking a guy off the street that had a gun. And then this little mope with the yellow shirt. I hope he took a beating, that guy, you know? Uh, he certainly deserves one. Yeah, and you know something... That's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with cowards like that guy. And you notice all the cowards with their cell phone narrating what's going on. Like this is going to be, this is going to be their lawsuit. They're going to take this to the ACLU and say, look, look what that cop did as we were throwing bottles at him. You know, it's just so pathetic. You know, uh, just to get, make this quick point, recently a jurisdiction, I don't have the jurisdiction. They made a law that you can't videotape any closer. You must be a, back eight feet at least eight feet's not that far you know what i mean eight feet's not even three yards so or, or else you're getting in the cop's face i if it was me i'd say I, you got to be back 15 yards you know which which is 45 feet but these people minimum yeah, up 15 in, yards seems, yeah. seems a, a safe distance to yeah, me yeah they're okay up in the that. cop's face the cop's threatened by this person with the phone and he can't really do, he or she can't really do his job because they got to worry about this person with the video camera who's also narrating the show as they're videotaping it. People should look up obstructing governmental administration in the penal law and see that what those people are doing, they're obstructing governmental administration. They're trying to deter an officer from placing someone under arrest. So again, you have laws in place and they could be enforced. And the best part of that incident is I guarantee there's a bunch of civilian complaints against the cops that they overreacted or whatever it is. And they're going to be handled by the Civilian Complaint Review Board. They're going to uh, you know, they're going to look at everything. They're going to dissect every second. And there'll probably be one or two police officers, maybe more, that might get disciplined out of that incident where they would be impelted with bottles and rocks and what have you and assaulted. Uh, the guy in the yellow walks up, runs up, punches the officer in the face after he's videotaping what's going on and then runs away like a coward. So the the, the system has got to be changed. The, the system that's in place now is just prime for crime that's the way to put it it's just prime. you know phil crime. that guy wearing the yellow shirt he wore the right color for that day that's who he is a yellow coward maybe he Absolutely. wears that shirt he should wear that shirt every day because that's who he is he's a coward you know 
Absolutely, Billy. And I think all of those cops that were out there that day, I give a big thumbs up to the 4-4 cops and a salute. They were on the tremendous, tremendous disadvantage and they handled themselves well. I don't think in my, what I saw in that video, I don't think any of the cops went overboard. Uh, it's just a, t a tremendous, tremendous disadvantage to have these people in your face when you're trying to make an arrest. Now, every time that we had a situation where we had to arrest somebody, anybody that got near the cops, they, they got pushed back very forcefully. And if they tried to resist, they were arrested as well. And I think that that's the way we got to start looking at these situations. You know, um, a 4-4 precinct, um, someone sent me an email that asked me to cover this today. I didn't want to use your name because I don't want to uh, put you on in a negative spotlight with some of, of the department's, uh, you know, letter agencies. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about. But thank you for sending me that email. 4-4 Cops, you're some of the best in the city. And I just want to applaud you and praise you. And stay safe out there. And God bless Philly. Last words. Last words. I think we laid out the uh, obvious uh, remedy to the situation that's going on in New York City as well as across the country. Let's get together with the politicians. Let's get together with the people. Let's back up police officers. Let's get rid of George Soros, get him out of the country, deport him, whatever it is. And let's get back to business of taking back our streets and having safety within our streets. One last thing, tonight at 9 p.m., we have a great show coming up about Dog Day afternoon. It's going to be the 50th anniversary this month on the 22nd. There's a lot more to the story than was portrayed in the movie, as well as uh, what happened after when the guy got out of jail that was responsible for Dog Day afternoon. It's a great story. It's going to be very interesting. Look for us at 9 p.m. tonight. Folks, uh, thank you so much for listening. Oh, by the way, all you NYPD coppers, if you're not subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, go on our YouTube, subscribe. It's free. Yeah. I know a lot of you guys got uh, short arms and deep pockets. It's free. Support fellow NYPD guys. Subscribe to our podcast. And we got your back. Don't ever forget that. We got, I know, Bill, I'm going to speak for myself and you. Every time I drive past a police car, no matter where it is, when I'm on vacation or whatever it is, I always give a second look to make sure that those cops are okay. And if, God forbid, they need help, I'm there. 100%. Folks, have a great day. Stay safe. God bless. Stay safe, everyone. One episode, just ain't enough.